Hello, and welcome back. Today for episode 19, I'm joined by Isabel VK and Rebecca Drury from Flora and Flora International, who are speaking with us about the anti-reptile trafficking work throughout the Caribbean. We focus mostly on Union Island, home to the jewel-like Union Island gecko, little more than an inch in length. We get into the drivers of illicit trade, the great impact their work is having, and how inspired local communities have stepped up to protect their native species. If you like this episode and would like to follow more on this project, please follow the links in the description. And if you'd like to support us, you can make a donation at restoreplan.org or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Enjoy the conversation. Hello, and welcome back to Restoral Planet Podcast with me, your host, Jack Holt. I'm joined today from two members from FFI who's going to share with us about their Caribbean reptiles projects. So starting with you, Rebecca, how are you? And tell us a little about your background and uh, the work that you're getting up to. I'm really well, thank you. Um, so yeah, I'm uh, Rebecca Drury. Um, I work at Fauna and Flora International. Uh, so Fauna and Flora International is an international NGO working to protect uh, ecosystems and species around the world and my job at FFI is to uh, lead the organisation's work to address illegal and unsustainable wildlife trade. Fantastic. All right, thank you so much. And Isabel, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, good afternoon. I'm um, Isabel Vique. I'm the Caribbean Programme Manager. So I oversee um, the projects or some of the projects that FFI develops in the Eastern Caribbean. Fantastic. All right, so Isabel, tell us a little bit about some of the species that you've been working with and a little bit about their ecology and background. Um, well, we've been working in the Eastern Caribbean for over 30 years now. And um, one of the issues about the region is that we don't have big mammals. So there are no tigers, there are no elephants. And people might think that um, for that reason, the region is not so interesting. But uh, regarding biodiversity. However, one of the particularities that the Eastern Caribbean has, like other island regions, um, is that there are different species in each island. So the islands are very small, but every island will have um, a unique racer and un a unique or um, an almost unique iguana, a couple of unique geckos. So it's very diverse because when you move from island to island, you're going to be finding completely different animals and, and plants. Um, and one of the reasons why, or the main reason why we work with reptiles is because, well, number one, they're not sexy, so to speak. So lots of people look uh, for other species like um, birds or mammals to look after, but reptiles are really, really threatened in the Eastern Caribbean and no one was really looking into them. So we decided to step up and start working with um, the conservation of these species. All right. And tell us a little bit how you uh, how you got started specifically when FFI decided, right, this is a this is a moment where we need to take some action. Well I started working for FFI. Well actually I started um, in FFI uh, during my during my placement research for the University of Cambridge, I did a master's degree with them. Um, um, the Anfield Conservation Leadership, and as part of the program, you develop a project with with one of the organized conservation organization in the CCI Cambridge Conservation Initiative. So there were some very interesting projects out there, but I really fell in love with. Um, an illegal wildlife trade and behavior change um, project in Nicaragua. I used to work in Central America, so it, it kind of ticked all the boxes. So with the America's team, um, I, I and with Rebecca, 
uh, we worked um, a little bit into trying to understand a bit better the motivations that people have to consume sea turtle products, especially eggs and hawksbill shell. Um, that was back in the day. Um, it was successful. We put together a lot of information that ended up um, building the foundation for a full project that is coming to an end now. Um, so years after when um, FFI released uh, an interesting position, I already knew there, I knew how they worked. I knew that I liked them. They also knew me. I went to an interview and I got a job with them. Um, and the rest is history, I guess. Fantastic. Just going back a little bit to what you said there. So what are some of the motivations of people to uh, to use? Well, is eggs and hawksbill? What was it? what was the other species? Sorry, uh, there's a range of um, sea turtles that um, people could consume eggs for from, and um, and then the hawksbill. They usually take the shell to make trinkets, uh, jewelry. Oh. Um, um, but the eggs are from a range of species: green turtles, hawksbills, and many other species that are, they're all endangered. Um, so in in all the organizations I know, we've been trying to protect the turtles on the ground. So trying for people to not to go and poach the eggs, but this was a different approach. So it was more trying to understand the consumers, trying to see why they were doing what they were doing to convince them to be more sustainable, to stop consuming um, the eggs of species that are really endangered. So for that, you really, it, it, it's, it's very innovative. It's really new. So it must sound a bit like um, crazy, but it was more working on the, on the human side of, of, um, of the conservation. Right. Okay. And can you tell us a little bit about the, the human side of um, the work you're doing with the UNI geckos and the sort of motivations behind the, the work that you're doing now? Yeah, so uh, as every project in FFI, this project came from a request um, on the ground. So um, in 2017, the Forestry Department in from St. Vincent and the Grenadines and a CBOR um, community-based organization called the Union Island Environmental Alliance, who used to be called the Union Island Environmental Attackers, so people might know them by the their own name, um, they reached out to us because they were very concerned about a tiny little gecko that lives in their island. Um, they didn't know how, but this gecko was all over the place in the international uh, pet trade because people were trying to get it in Europe, the USA, and even in Japan to breed them at home. And they were really puzzled. They, they didn't know how people would be interested in anything like that to begin with and then they didn't know how the geckos were leaving the island basically what was going on so um they tried they, they knew that we were working in other islands and that we were working with reptiles so they thought that we could help and this is when rebecca jenny Dolce, who used to be the head of the caribbean um started working in the project rebecca maybe you want to talk about a bit about the project yeah, sure. So um, FFI partners with Cambridge University to deliver um, a master's in conservation leadership. And so every year um, we are um, invited along with other conservation NGOs to put forward ideas for research projects. Um, so um, Jenny and I put together a placement um, looking at trying to investigate this concern by the partner organisation. Um, and so we work with a student called Josh uh, Noseworthy. Um, 
and he did an assessment um an online assessment looking at sales of lesser antillian reptile species uh, many of which have yet to be um, studied or listed red list evaluated um, and he found that um, a huge number of those were num were available for sale online um, and um, the majority of those sales were originating, if I recall correctly, uh, from the US and from the EU and um, from Japan as well, which, as um, Isabel mentioned. Um, and so he was able to kind of give us the evidence base, if you like, that this was a real concern and there had been a real surge um, in demand for some of the reptile species, um, which is in line what we know about some of the reptile collectors in that, in that many collectors will explicitly seek out kind of rare endemic, uh, newly described and protected reptile species. Um, so that gave us the basis for the project, which has now uh, become a, a really uh, valuable programme of work and is protecting some of these uh, reptiles on the ground. Right, and just to give a, this is a bit of an understanding about the Uni9 gecko. Isabel, would you mind describing to us what it actually looks like? I think it's quite a quite amazing little, uh, often what's often described as a jewel um, little species, isn't it? Very tiny little thing. Yes, it's really, really small. It's like this, this big. <laughs> An inch, An inch <laughs> more or less, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Middle part of a it's, finger. <laughs> it's, um, it's very colorful and it has um, dots. It looks like it has eyes on it. Um, um, but um, the interesting thing is, is how small it is. So it was only discovered in 2005, um, but so it seems that traffickers uh, pay attention to um, to scientific papers. So people knew that it was out there and they were actively looking for it. Um, and as I always say, the problem with the Union Island Gecko is how beautiful it is. Because um, if it was ugly, maybe no one would want to have it in their houses. <laughs> but this one is, is beautiful. Um, and, and also that um, the, the collectors knew about it, but not many other people knew about it. So when we started working with these species, there, there were people in the community who didn't know about the species. They, they had never seen it. They, um, they didn't even know that it existed, even though they were living in the island, whereas people as far as, uh, from as far as um, Japan knew about the species and, and were seeking to get one. So one of the very um, important things that we've been doing um, through this program, especially with the Union Island Environmental Alliance, is to raise awareness um, in the community. So uh, we take out people from the community, they see the gecko, they see the environment, they have a nice day out, a little picnic, they learn a little bit about the ecology and um, the history, how it's important, and it's really building a lot of pride. So we've seen a huge difference in the community since we started the project to nowadays. So now if you go in the main street of Union Island, you can see that a local artist will make uh, t-shirts with uh, a beautiful drawing of the Union Island gecko, or um, people will talk about it, and people will use the colors to decorate their houses. So um, it's been, we've only been working on this for like five, six years, but um, the impact in, in, in the community, but also in the international trade has been great, um, has been really good. You're saying that you take uh, locals on a kind of, you know, like a crash course tour of sort of the history of the species and its importance and that kind of things. What kind of things do they do they learn about the, the gecko? It's not curiosity. So imagine if I'm one of, sort of local people who's about to learn about all these these things. What kind of information do they do they learn? 
Well, um, for for safety reasons, for security reasons, we cannot tell them much about the ecology, the detail ecology or where they live. So they usually see one, but because it's taken to them um, by one of the wardens working in the reserve. Uh, but they 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 have a lot of we they usually have a lot of questions that we try to answer. And one of the things that shocks them the most is how small how small they are so when when we started talking about a gecko they were thinking about a house gecko a house gecko is quite large in comparison and when this they see this one they're shocked about how how international people are so interested in something so small <laughs> um and then when when it starts showing its, its colors because um um, usually they don't show them all the time and they see how beautiful it is. They, try, they, they kind of understand, but for people who don't, who are not used to um, um, exotic pets, um, they're a bit puzzled. And they usually ask about what they eat or um, people are very interested about what animals eat. Or what do they eat? Sorry, I wonder if it's people, evidently. <laughs> uh, they eat insects. They're carnivorous. Right. Of course. Small of course. spiders and um, other arthropods. Um, or where they live and if they get together, if they live alone, um, if they lie eggs, especially children, they're very interested about how they reproduce and, and the life cycle. Because um, we also take schools and also the wardens um, in the reserve who have been doing an amazing job since the project started. They go to the local school to give talks and they have a program called Warden for a Day. Um, and now all the children on Union Island want to be wardens when they grow up, which is fantastic. Great. So I'm actually sort of betraying myself, sort of childhood curiosity here, but how long do they live for? We don't know that much about the ecology, but um, they're small, so they, they should be short-lived. I would say probably five years. Oh, that's not too bad. Mm. All right. Obviously, in captivity, they may live a, li a little bit longer, but, um, of course. Oh. but because no one eats them. Right, right, right. Um, okay, so perhaps, Rebecca, this might be a question um, for you. You were talking there about sort of where these species sort of end up, um, you know, various parts around the world. So, so what happens? How do they how do they go from, you know, sitting quietly in the sun and, you know, and end up in, say, like Japan or, or somewhere else? What's the, what happens? So, um, yeah, so the, these species that are very rare and endemic, um, are usually sought after by collectors who are quite knowledgeable about the trade. Um, so it's usually, um, you know, I get ordered on demand. So um, it's actually very difficult to transport reptiles um, because um, there's really high mortality rates, as you can imagine, from dehydration or suffocation or starvation. Um, so most of them are collected and then transported um, via air, either in person or by post. Um, in small batches, um, but the trafficking routes are constantly in flux. Um, but because they want direct flights, again, because of the mortality rates, they tend to be kind of focused on a, ma major air transport hubs. Um, and then a lot of the trade and um, kind of organising the trade happens online these days. Um, so, you know, there are lots of different social media platforms to reach customers um, and to, to organise this kind of transaction um, with limited risk of being caught. Um, it's easy to switch between platforms to dodge targeted law enforcement, for example. Um, so there are kind of these large reptile shows and there are outdoor markets. And these are points where people tend to meet and talk about their passion um, and they might kind of uh, have a trans the transaction might happen there. But a lot of the 
um, the purchase in advance is often organised online, um, online and through direct um, messaging. Um, and it, you know the fact that the rise of these online markets enables these hobbyists who are very passionate, about, passionate and very knowledgeable and really care often about the species um, to to kind of uh, skip the middle man or the intermediaries as well, um, and just kind of um, get involved in in selling these these species to supplement their income and fund their hobby. Okay, all right. Um, I think Isabel, back to you. I think here yeah, that's a good time to say. Um, so tell us about how FFI have have uh, intervened and how you've uh, attacking this problem. What exactly have, you been, have you, uh, you been doing on the ground? And some of the successes and some of the challenges that you've had. Um, so one of the first things that we did was to help the Union Island Environmental Alliance to form a wardens uh, team. So um, now there are people patrolling the area where the gecko lives day in and day out. Uh, so there, there is a presence there. And just with that, we saw um, a big change. We saw a decrease in science of poaching. We saw um, that people will come to them and talk to them about the issue and uh, how they were feeling about it because there has been a lot of community uh, meetings, communication and awareness raising. As I said before, that's, that's kind of the second pillar of the program, working with the community, um, seeing what the, their concerns are and how they would like to proceed with um, protecting the species. We've also uh, been doing a lot of capacity building. So um, a couple of years ago, well, before the pandemic, now everything is going to be before and after the pandemic, right? Um, so before the pandemic, we organized a set of training courses for the people who are working on the front line of, um, um, for the protection against the international trade, meaning custom officers, the police, the military, the forestry departments. And we did one week training courses on counter wildlife crime that went from how to stop a person in a border if you think that there is something dodgy to how to search a room hotel, a hotel room or how to put together evidence for a case in court. Um, we went through um, a, a whole range of things that have to be done to stop the trade. And we try to involve as many people as possible from the agencies that could be involved because they're as, they are, as I said, in the front line. And the last pillar of the work was uh, international policy. So in 2019, if I'm not mistaken, the St. Vincent and the Grenadines uh, Forestry Department and, and national government put together the case to get the Union Island Gecko um, protected internationally from trade. So uh, CITES, which is an international agreement between different parties in different countries saying we want to regulate the international trade of our species, um, organized a conference in 2019. They made every th three years. And in, that in those conferences, you can put, um, put through cases for species to be listed in one of the appendixes. So one, when one species is listed in one of the appendixes that regulates the trade internationally, who can trade, how can trade, what paperwork they need. So in 2019, um, the government of St. Vincent and the Canadians put together the case for the Union Island Gecko to be on appendix one, which is the most restric restrictive one. Um, they took it to the COP and it was, fully supported by the European Union, but also, and, and this was a, a beautiful moment, for their fellow Eastern Caribbean 
countries. So St. Lucia spoke very highly of the work that St. Vincent was doing and, um, and they supported it in the voting so that the species became, um, was when listed uh, into Appendix 1. Because um, one of the problems with some of the species that we come across is that they, they've been discovered recently or no one has really listed them. There is, the, the, the scientists don't know much about them. They're still learning about them, but the collectors already know about them. And if they have not been listed and they, there is no national regulation because the species is not very well known, then the situation is a bit of a free for all. People think that they can just take them and trade them, which is not true, but it's a bit less obvious that you can get caught. But as soon as they get into one of the appendixes, some people feel like it's not worth it to keep trading them. Um, and we've seen um, that people have reduced the trade, um, mostly in Europe, after, after, um, after the gecko was listed. Because now all the countries in the European Union and in other countries are going to really be looking into those transactions, which they might have missed before. Well, brilliant. So you have actually seen some some direct positive impacts already. We have. Um, we've seen an over 80% reduction of availability of Union Island geckos online from 2017 when the project started to last wow. year. Fantastic. And what have been some of the perhaps unexpected challenges that you faced on the project? Very good question. Sorry, I put you on the spot there. Don't, don't worry, you don't have to. <laughs> Perhaps something a little bit surprising. You thought, oh, wow, we didn't quite think of this, or, or, or just, just, just something quite interesting, something quite positive, surprising you had. You mentioned there that the, the local communities responded really positively. So have they become like a real sort of vanguard of protecting their, their ecosystems? Yeah, something that um, was also very nice is that um, this project not only um, on Union Island or in St. Vincent and the Grandins. But this, this um, legal wildlife trade project in the Eastern Caribbean has really empowered the um, law enforcement agencies in the Eastern Caribbean. So um, we've seen them using what they learn um, in their training courses, also communicating much more among countries because this kind of trade is never only national. So uh, we know that the collectors go to different islands and they end they um, they have hubs and then they send the animals to other countries from their hubs. So uh, this international um, communication and collaboration was um, key and it's happening. Um, but uh, for example, St. Vincent got so, um, felt so well when the Union Island Gecko um, got into Appendix 1 that they are now working on um, a proposal for a new species and they're working with St. Lucia, um, another country that has similar problems with other species, and, and they're just working together for a bigger aim. And that, um, from FFI's point of view, is um, exactly the thing that we would like to see happening. Um, so we are mere facilitators. We can provide technical advice. We can help with some funding, help fundraising, things like that. But the aim is uh, to build the capacity in country and um, to raise awareness so that it's the people from 
the communities and it's the people from the national governments who have the tools and the power to conserve their own species. Fantastic. Okay. And back to you, Rebecca, what would you like to see or what do you expect to see? So two slightly different questions there in the next five to 10 years. Where is this, uh, where are things heading for, for reptiles in the Caribbean? So this, I mean, the project that Isabel's described has been really successful and we're really pleased with the, the results and that the threat um, has reduced. Um, but of course, there are many other endemic reptiles in the Caribbean. It's an incredibly biodiverse rich area. Um, and so there are many other species, there are other islands to work on where there is still a threat. Um, so our hope in the next few years is to be able to replicate this work in other islands for other species. Um, you know, as Isabel's um, already talked about, it's really important to monitor the species um, of concern um, so that we can identify if there is kind of a surge in uh, smuggling and trade. Um, we need better understanding um, about the ecology um, of these species so that we can prevent their overexploitation um, and we can involve more communities and institutions locally to help protect these species and really you know be passionate about supporting their conservation and then of course as Isabel's already talked about we need to make sure that you know although many of these species are protected in their range states and their range countries so it's illegal to to remove them once they've left the country there's there's very little we can do unless they are listed in CITES and there's international regulations to manage their trade. So there's lots of work to do and also perhaps to work with collectors um, as well to reduce demand and make sure that we're using or we're exploiting species uh, sustainably um, or not at all if they just can't withstand this kind of uh, trade. And Isabel, finally, how would you like to see things change over the next, uh, over the coming years? Um, well, there are, there are other issues that um, are threatening the Union Island Gecko at the moment. So um, we're going to keep working on illegal wildlife trade to make sure that um, it doesn't bump back. But um, there is there is also, well, as, as you might imagine, when, when people think about the Eastern Caribbean, they think about beautiful beaches and big hotels and um, vacation. And that is wonderful. But... Um, big hotels and unsustainable development are a huge threat for all of our species, not only because those hotels are usually um, built in the most pristine areas of the Eastern Caribbean, because that's where people want to be, but also because they usually bring with them invasive species and diseases with all the ship shipping of the materials that they, they need for the construction um, sites. Um, and those invasive species Munguses, rats, green iguanas might either um, eat our species or interbreed with them. And then there is a loss of the genetic pool. If I'm getting too technical, just let me know. No, no, it's uh, okay. It's all, it's all very interesting. Great stuff. Um, and then we, we think that tourism is a great tool um, and, and a great income source for the Caribbean, but it can be done sustainably. It can be ecological. So in some other countries, um, they're building beautiful resorts without destroying the forest. And that's exactly the thing that we would like to see in the Eastern Caribbean, that new developments um, embrace the, the beautiful areas that are still there and that haven't been destroyed and that can combine the... Um, enjoyment of people, locals and tourism, tourists alike, but also that uh, 
these people visiting the islands still have the opportunity to see the Union Island Gecko because the hotel that they're coming to was very respectful of um, of, of the area where it was built and 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 how the materials that um, they used were, were brought in. And where are some of those areas where companies, governments are, are actually getting that that right? Uh, Dominica has a very good example of um, an ecologue. Uh, Costa Rica is always the the mm. more obvious uh, thing to look at. Ecuador, um, some com companies are doing great stuff in in the rainforest, but also in the Galapagos Islands, who are, which are very similar to where we work. Um, so it's possible and it's profitable. So it's not like we 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 don't want to be here. Um, looking like the people who doesn't want the countries to develop. That's not the case at all. We, we're just saying it can be done, it can be prof profitable, but it can be respectful to both the communities and, and the species living in, in the region. All right. So Isabel, tell us, where can people find out more about this project and the work you're doing? Um, they can always visit our webpage. Um, fanandflorainternational.org um, and I'll be happy to respond emails or if anyone wants to talk to Rebecca or I they can get in contact with the organization and we'll be happy to provide more information um, about the gecko and other species. Fantastic thank you both for your time. Thank you. Thank you.